It's a time of great victory. Your past does not have to dictate your future. We are on the solid rock, Christ Jesus. God's got something better for you. Isn't it so cool that the creator of the universe takes time to come and speak to you and me? Isn't that cool? You know, if we realize that, you know, people say, well, why should you go to church? Because God has an appointment and he comes to meet with us here. Isn't that cool? Praise God. And we just tell him, you know, hey, I'm not too busy to come and to set aside some time to be with you. In Judges chapter 6, this is the story of Gideon. How many of you heard the story of Gideon? And I love this because it's just so funny uh, what he's doing. And, and you know, uh, what had happened here in Israel, they had just left the Lord. They had forsaken him and done their own thing and started worshiping Baal. And so because of that, God said, well, then fine. You know, you leave me, I'll just step back. You know, in the book of Romans, it talks about when and God gave them up to their reprobate mind. And I, I remember te- when I teach through Romans, I teach a little section there about when God gives up. Wow. When he gives up, when he gives us up to our reprobate mind, our own way of thinking. So a lot of times God says, fine, just go, go ahead about your bad self. Just see how that works for you. And so he does that and he allows the Midianites who were, I heard a person say one time they were like the cousins. Uh, they were related to the Israelites somehow through there. But anyway, he lets them um, just go ahead and they, they dominate the, the Israelites and, and um, not really take them in as slaves, but what they do is every time harvest comes, they, it says that the Bible describes them as locusts. In other words, so many of them would just ride out, take all of the harvest, eat all they could eat, take the rest. And um, what they, How does Bluebell say it? We eat all we can and sell the rest. I guess that's what the Midianites do. They just come out and get all they could and basically left the Israelites with nothing. They did all the work and they didn't get anything. Kind of sounds like mama, right? Uh, So that's what was going on, and um, it said that the Israelites were so fearful of them that they lived in these holes in the rocks, the rocks in the hills, you know, and so they they couldn't even enjoy their homes or or anything, and they were just living in this fear, and uh, they wouldn't stand up or anything, and so they really needed someone to come and to deliver them. Throughout this time period, what would happen is that God would rescue, he'd raise somebody up, and uh, they would lead the children of Israel and show them the right way and lead them out of bondage or the captivity or oppression from whoever, whatever enemy was oppressing them. And they'd go along for a while, and then here they'd go again. They'd just kind of drop off and go back into, you know, not even thinking about God. And they'd start to have a lot of trouble again. So then God would raise somebody else up, and they were called judges, that they were basically leaders that would help lead the, the people of God, the children of Israel, uh, back to the Lord and back into a time of victory. Well, it just happens that Gideon is the one that God chooses for this time. And so we look at Judges chapter 6, verse 11. We're going to take it up there. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak in Ophrah. That's not Oprah, but that's Ophrah. And uh, that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, where he where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. What a long verse. Did you get that? So the angel of the Lord comes. He sits down under this oak tree. um, And so he describes it, this oak tree that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And just a little side note here. 
a wine press is not where you usually thresh wheat. Wheat's usually threshed outside in the open where that the wind can blow the chaff away and you can get oxen out there to pull it around. The wine press was down in a secluded area, back down, kind of hidden. And so that's where Gideon was. Verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior or mighty man of valor or mighty man of courage. (laughs) The guy that's hiding in the wine press, you know, so that nobody sees him. Verse 13, but sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Verse 15, here comes Gideon again. But Lord, (laughs) but Lord. We ought to underline all the but lords throughout this passage and through the Bible. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. Wow. You know, living the Christian life isn't always easy. We have trials and tribulations. We have difficulties. Uh, Satan's watching to see how he can come. Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. That's what the Midianites were doing to to the children of Israel. They were stealing from them. They were killing them. They were destroying whatever they could. And so it's a form, we can relate today, we can really put this into a a context of today where Satan comes against us to steal, to kill, and to destroy. A lot of times, you know, we're often focused, uh, so I I guess maybe forced to to deal with uh, difficulties and struggles. And we have to decide, how am I going to handle this challenge, this struggle, this problem in my life? And, um, you know, depends on our mindset. A lot of times, you know, we, we want the easiest way out. That's just kind of the way we are. So rather than struggle so much, we'll try to take the easiest way. And depending upon really how our heart is set will depend on what we go about doing. And the children of Israel, they just kind of, they just kind of went with it. They just let the Midianites um, dominate them and steal from them and, and everything. And you know, they, they gave up. A lot of times we're that way. We just give up. After the struggle for so long, you know, we just get tired of it and we just give up. We're reluctant to trust God. We're reluctant to step out there in faith again, you know, and just give up or, or we give out, so to speak. You ever been in one of those situations where it seemed like that just the, it, the, the trial just kept going on that you just rather to give up or, or give out and... Um, you know, a lot of times we have these moments of insecurity where we, hear, we heard Gideon saying, well, well, God, if you are with us, you know, why aren't you doing something for us? And why is all this happening? There was some, I hear some insecurity in his voice and um, really a, a lack of faith necessary for this particular time and what God's calling him to do. The enemy loves for us to, to live in fear and uncertainty, and that's exactly where we find Gideon and the children of Israel right here. They're living in fear and uncertainty. That's not a very pleasant way to live. Did you know that? I mean, that starts to wear on you after a while. Fear and uncertainty. 
Um, and you know, that's, that's the way a lot of people are because it, in, in our, the mindset gets to be where everything that we look at, we begin to look at it in a negative way. We, we don't really see God moving and, um, or we always, you know, we're critical about the things in life, but you know, we, we can overcome. And I think that that's what's neat about this story is we see that there is a way to overcome this faint heartedness to become a lion hearted, you know, so to speak. Um, the Bible says that we're more than conquerors in Romans chapter eight, verse 37, that we are more than conquerors. So God's, God calls us one thing and we see ourselves as something else. And that's exactly what's happening here with Gideon. God tells him, Hey, mighty man of valor, who me, <laughs> you know, who is that? You know, hiding around. He's afraid to even be seen. And so uh, I am so thankful that our circumstance don't dictate to God who he decides we are. You know, he created us before the foundation of the world, and he, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And so we see that God is there to begin to raise getting up to be who he needs to be. So really, as we look back on this a little bit, a little bit of background, we see that as we jump into this in Judges 6, we see um, a desperate and, and difficult days for the children of Israel. We see that um, they were living in the promised land, so to speak, but they, uh, they'd strayed from the Lord. Again, they'd turned from him. They began to worship other gods. And um, so God had allowed, you know, he steps back and he allows these things to happen in their life. Uh, you know... In the last days, in prophecy, we see that when um, we see this, these, the four horsemen come in and we see that um, we see famine, we see war, we see uh, uh, fall, this other conquering hero and different things that come. And people say, well, why does God send those things? You know, and I think about it, really, you know, the Antichrist, when he comes as conqueror, he comes because people have rejected the true king. And so the false king is, comes on the scene. And whenever you reject the bread of life, then you get famine. When you reject the Prince of Peace, then there's war. When you reject, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. When you reject life, the only thing that's left is death. So really what happens is, is de- depending upon our degree of rejecting the Lord is what our present reality comes uh, is at that particular time in our life, where we have turned away from God and rejected him, then we get the opposite of that. Does that make sense? But we want to blame God for that. Well, why should we blame him? We rejected him, so we get what's left over. You know, they talk about, uh, someone was talking about um, darkness. Well, darkness is just simply the absence of light. Cold is the absence of heat. And in, you know, so you, you start to remove certain elements, you get what's left. Well, they had rejected God, and so they got what was left over. If we don't like what's going on in our life, we need to check and see, have we abandoned God in some area? Maybe God hasn't left us. Maybe we left him. I saw a bumper sticker back when bumper stickers were in. I don't know if they ever, I never did like bumper stickers, but it said, uh, if you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? And so, that's, you know, God has his way. He's always going to be there. But if we don't feel close to him, hey, maybe it wasn't God that moved. Maybe it was just me that strayed away. Um, 
I made a little note here. I just had jotted down often in times of difficulty, God will raise up one to lead his people out of bondage into victory. And so that's exactly what was happening. God was going to raise somebody up to lead the people out of this bondage into victory. And Gideon, although I don't think he would have probably, if they would have taken a vote, I don't think he would have been the one that was chosen or elected, but that's who God chose. Isn't it amazing how God will always take the, seem like the weak things and uh, to accomplish certain things. And so his ways are not our ways. Uh, You know, his thoughts are not our thoughts, but God has a plan and we need to trust it. So, um, you know, today I think we can find ourselves in desperate days, but I want to tell you that God's looking for people who will take a stand and trust him and allow him to speak into their lives and bring them to who they're really supposed to be. So as we look at this from faint-hearted to lion-hearted, if you think about faint-hearted, basically what it means is lacking courage. It means timid and um, it, you know, courage is simply strength in the face of difficulty. People talk about heroes, you know, it's like the look at a person will, um, wow, you know, what caused you to do that? It's like, well, somebody needed to do it. We don't usually discover heroes until we have had a situation where somebody needed to step up. It's like that that's what brings about that courage comes out in the time of, of trouble. And so God was saying, hey, you mighty man of valor, or you, you courageous warrior. And Gideon's like, who, me? God was speaking into him who he needed to be, and Gideon wasn't seeing that. And so he was to move from being faint-hearted to lion-hearted. Let's look at some of the abilities, these faint-hearted abilities that Gideon had, see if we have any of them in our life. Um, first of all, we find him really lacking confidence. He was filled with fear, and he was down there just trying to scrape out a little bit of, of uh, wheat, you know, grind a little bit of wheat just for him and his family, staying out until nobody could see him. And um, he was timid. He was uh, faint-hearted. He was timid. And um, meaning that, you know, just not bold. A lot of times bold says, you know, when you're in a situation, boldness will come up and say, well, praise God or begin to declare certain things of faith. Uh, You know, there's times when we have this little bit of uh, a spirit of timidity will hit us and instead of just shouting out in faith something, we'll kind of step back or set back because we're not sure. We're reluctant to just shout out things of faith because we don't know if God's going to do it or not. Have you ever been there? I have. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of timidity or a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. We need to be bold enough that when things, when we see that Satan's doing something, we ought to prophesy, we ought to speak into that situation, into that circumstance, and declare it to be, to change, right? God saw darkness, he saw void, he saw chaos, and he spoke into the darkness, and he created a universe for us to, to dwell in. He, he spoke, and peace came in. Jesus looked into the storm, to the chaos of the storm, and he said, peace, be still. You know, that's not being timid, that's being bold. We need to be bold enough to see chaos or see the trouble or see what Satan's trying to bring and speak into it what needs to happen. I don't know if y'all are getting this yet or not, but I'm liable to start preaching here in in just a second. It starts out in verse 11, says, Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So we see here he's very timid. He's not, he's not showing forth some courage. Um, And he's, you know, 
he's down here where he shouldn't be and in a wine press it wasn't designed to, to where you thresh out wheat and, and so uh, he needs to be a little bit more brave a little bit more courageous and uh, you know sadly that's the case of a lot of believers today you know we don't want to we won't we don't want to be out there in the harvest field and, 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 you know, maybe living our life for Jesus and letting other people know that we're a Christian. We're just kind of like, uh, you know, you couldn't tell that we're a Christian or not, until, but we'll get back to church, you know, and maybe out in the lobby we'll say, well, praise God, maybe. Or when G- Brother Gabe says, go shake somebody's hand, then you'll go shake somebody's hand and say, well, praise the Lord, you know. We'll be in the wine press trying to, you know, grind out a little bit of fruit from the harvest, but, boy, out those doors, we, we don't... We don't want anybody to know. Well, we're, t- we're timid. We're, we're afraid. What would they say? What would they think, you know, uh, about me? I know there must not be anybody like that. They're all gone today, right? But have you ever, have, do you know anybody like that, you know? Well, they, they might be not real bold in church, but at least you might know that they're a Christian in church, maybe because they're there, but boy, you'd never know it on the job or anyplace else. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know people like that? You know, so Gideon, you know, he was kind of, he was trying to, you know, grind out a little bit of the harvest in the wine press, but out in the harvest field where he really needed to be, he didn't want to be seen, you know? Hey, the, the Midianites might see him out there, the Malachites might see him and criticize him or, or something, and, you know, it's, it's hard to be an Israelite out there, you know, he just needed to try to just, you know, come to church and do a little few things around church, and that's okay, but not when you get out those doors. Hello. You know, we need to be not so timid. We need to be not faint-hearted, but we need to be lion-hearted. We need to be who we are, wherever we are. Realize that this is the, just the, the base of operation. This is not the harvest in here. This is not the field of labor. This is just the, the base of operation. This is the locker room, okay? You know, we got to walk out those doors to the playing field. we got to go out there to the harvest, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few, is what Jesus said. He said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. Get out of the wine press. Go out into the harvest field and go out there to, to, uh, to bring forth the harvest. Not in here. So, you know, he'd grown a little bit complacent. You know, he was just happy to just grind out a little bit of, of wheat, you know, and, and stuff. He was just fine with that. Uh, we get a little satisfied with just the leftovers, Right? We just kind of get a little, little satisfied with, well, you know, I, I trust the Lord, but I don't want very much going on. And we, we might worship the Lord, but we don't know if we want to get it real excited or not in, in here, right? Hello. Um, you, know, I, you know, well, I want to praise God, but, I, I, you know, I don't want to get, people might think I'm a little weird if I get, you know, if I do this. Hello. You know, we, we're going to just kind of hide in the wine press a little bit. We don't know if we ought to really show forth how we ought to praise God, how we ought to bless God. And God's saying, hey, you courageous warrior. <laughs> yes, Lord. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're, yeah, you're the one. Come on, praise me. I praise him. <laughs> So that's kind of how Gideon was, you know, and he was just uh, very timid and, and afraid and fearful and, and complacent. He was just settling for it. He just settled for the way things were, you know, couldn't be any, you know, well, this is the way it's always going to be. And it's not going to get any better. It might get worse, but, you know, I just have to settle for the way things are. Are you settling for the way things are in your life? Just like, well, you know, I guess that's just the way it is. And, 
you know, I don't know. I've heard about God doing certain things and blessing people and whatever and maybe opening up a new job, but I don't know. I guess this is just where I am, where I'm always going to be. Hello. Really? How about praising him? How about trusting him? How about saying, you know what, I'm not satisfied here, but I'm going to be the best, uh, I'm going to be the best employee right here because I know God's getting ready to move me. I'm getting ready for, not for here, but I'm getting ready for what's going to happen next. Amen. So, you know, as long as you're there and as long as you're timid and as long as you're satisfying for the way things are, Satan, you know, things will never stay the way they are. So Satan can, he will make them worse. He'll push harder. He'll oppress more. And, you know, well, okay, I'm, you know, I'll just get a little further back in the wine press, you know, and, and just get a little lower, and, and here we go, you know, poor me, and this is just the way it is, and I guess God does it for other people, and I heard about how God used to do that, but I guess he doesn't do it for us, and I'm so glad somebody endured and was bold enough to tell me about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and that they weren't just settled to stay back in the wine press and, and, not, and look around. I'm glad that somebody pressed through for me, amen? So we see that he's very timid. We see he's apprehensive. He's reluctant. You know what faint-heartedness brings? Reluctance. We're just reluctant to do anything. You know, well, yeah, I used to do that, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know if it's worth it. Yeah, we used to go out and witness it. I don't know. How do you know? I mean, it doesn't matter. You you shouldn't be results-oriented anyway. You ought to just be obedient. God says go into all the world and preach the gospel, then go. He didn't say, well, and if such and such, if that doesn't happen, then don't try that again. (laughs) He didn't say be results-oriented. He just said go. Be obedient. Be obedient. But you know what happens though when we're faint hearted, we start to be reluctant. Because then, you know, it's like, I tell you, I, um, I, I've been kind of hanging out more in the air conditioner since it's been hot, so hot, you know? So I had to go out and mow yesterday, and I'm like, man, I got out there and I'm like, huh. I was so reluctant to go outdoors. It's like, oh my goodness, it's so hot out there. You know, I got out there, there was kind of a, not a bad breeze blowing. I mean, you know, it's not so bad and if you're moving. And, and I got a Kubota tractor. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, you sit down on it and put it in gear and you go. I mean, wind's blowing. You know, it wasn't bad at all. But boy, I sure was reluctant to get out there. Oh, man, it's going to be so hot. And it's going to do this and it's going to all this stuff. And, you know, you, how, you know, if you keep thinking about all that and you run it through your mind and you begin to talk yourself out of doing whatever because you're just reluctant to do Well, you know, I wouldn't mind going out to eat, but oh, so hot. I mean, you know, we have to get out, get in the car. It's just so hot. I mean, walking from the car to Joe's, oh my gosh. I mean, it's probably 40 feet or something. It's going to be so hot. And we're talking ourselves out. I mean, it wasn't very many months ago. It was, oh, it's freezing outside, you know, or it's too wet. or So whatever it is, the more we think about it, we get reluctant to do anything else because of how bad it is and how bad it's going to be. And, and so that's kind of the way the children of Israel were. That's how Gideon was. He was so faint-hearted, he became reluctant. We've got a lot of faint-hearted Christians that are so reluctant to do anything anymore. It's like, well, I don't know, you know, to go share the gospel or whatever, or just to be a Christian, just to be a Christian, you know? How about telling somebody, hey, has anybody told you today Jesus loves you? 
How about that waitress when she comes to your table and she's doing or he or she or whatever, you know, and taking your order. And, and before you leave or whatever, they come back and say, hey, I just want to, has anybody told you today that God loves you? No. Well, he does. But we've done that and all of a sudden, just a young lady break down in tears and like, no, and, and because of all the stuff that she's been going through and a single parent and struggling with her kids and trying to keep kids in daycare here and that and trying to just work and do what, and just for somebody to say, God loves you. But you know, a lot of times we're so reluctant. Well, I don't know, they'll think I'm crazy. I don't want to do that, you know. And I mean, we'll talk ourselves out of just telling somebody, hey, did you know God loves you? I mean, what's so hard about telling somebody, hey, does anybody told you today God loves you? It's like, and you almost believe me right there. You almost got it. But the more you think about it, you think, oh, well, you know, Pastor Paul would do that, but I don't know. I mean, it's just not me. Okay, it's not you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hey, live on the wild side. <laughs> like, that's so wild. But it might be for you to do that. But I want to tell you something. After that happens and you get an opportunity for somebody to look at you with tears in their eyes and be so grateful that somebody had the nerve to tell them that God loved them, man, I'll tell you what, that'll stay with you. I, I just have pictures of different people's faces in my, my mind that just start doing that. A, an old man, I, I say an old man, he probably was younger than me, sitting with his back down on the, the outside of McDonald's, leaning up against the wall, just sitting there, people walking right by him, nobody even acknowledging. It's like he's invisible. I walked right by him too. Until I got in and God says, huh, just walk right by him. Can't you even just at least tell him that God loves him? So then I got thinking, well, it probably wouldn't be too good to tell him that God loved him without giving him a sausage biscuit. <laughs> right? I mean, I'll let him know I love him too. And you know, sitting there and, and you come up and say, hey man, has anybody told you today God loves you? He's like, are you talking to me? Like, shocked, like, somebody's really talking to me? Yeah, man. Hey, have you had anything to eat? How about a sausage biscuit? Man, thank you. I start to, that's worth everything. What do we live for? What are we here for? Just to suck air and grow old? One moment. What does that cost you? Nothing. Nothing but a little bit of time. But a lot of times we're so faint-hearted. People so faint-hearted that we just are reluctant to do anything because it's just like, oh, I wish I could just, you know what? I'm going to cancel those subscriptions. I don't even want to walk to the mailbox. I don't even want to open the door and reach out to the mailbox. I'm just going to get it online. It's so hot outside. You see what I'm saying? If we don't watch out, faint-heartedness creeps in and we become creeps. <laughs> we just know we don't want to do anything. We just, we're reluctant to do anything. And so here's this angel talking to Gideon. The angel's in a great mood. Hey, mighty man of, war, of valor. <laughs> talking to me, I'm over here trying to get some breakfast, <laughs> you know. And look, in verse 13, Gideon says, but sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, <laughs> why has all this happened to us? If the Lord really is with us, you know, why is all this happening to me? Were all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. God didn't abandon you. You abandoned God. But you see how he's like, 
so apprehensive and critical. That's what faint-heartedness does. Makes us reluctant and apprehensive and critical and because we don't want to do it and we're just mad and we're really frustrated at ourselves and things aren't going the way we want and we don't want to exert any effort and so so when Gideon begins to hear the angel speak he begins to question you know whether it's really a worthy task you know mighty man of valor you know well, why should I even do anything I mean where's God anyway he's just abandoned us I don't see God doing anything where's all the wonders that our fathers told us about you know, well, why should I go to church? You know, I don't know. If I, you know, it's just not what it used to be. What did it used to be? It was what, what you used to make it. You know, a lot of it has to do with us. You know, I'll talk to, after a service, people will shake my hand and, and it's so amazing. I didn't realize I preached like 20 different sermons because <laughs> Roberta will get one thing, Jeff will get another, Tim will get something else. And, and that was, when you're taking it in and you're applying it to your life, only the Holy Spirit can do that. But then somebody else like, you know, and somebody else says, oh, I needed that. It was so good. I, oh, I just, how did you know? I, like, I didn't really know. I just, oh, I needed that. And somebody else was like, you know, how is it? It's what you get out of it. Well, you know, when I was young, I remember I'm just not getting fed. You know why I wasn't getting fed? I was waiting for somebody to feed me. That, you know, when you have that attitude, you're, it means that you're so immature, you're not even feeding yourself. But, you know, the more mature people are in the Lord, some people get excited off of a comma. <laughs> you know, the Bible talks about every jot and tittle. Oh, man, look at that comma right there. Ooh, that emphasized that God is God. There's a pause there. It means think about it. <laughs> Selah. Selah. Oh, man, Selah. It means think about it. <laughs> Somebody else is like, oh, man, that is so boring. Can we find another psalm? <laughs> I mean, what's the difference? The difference is whether or not you're faint-hearted or lion-hearted, Right? You can read something one time when you're really excited about Jesus. You can read the same thing again like, what did I ever get out of that? Because it's what's going on in your life or what you're allowing to go on in your life. And the angel of the Lord is trying to tell Gideon something. Hey, mighty man of valor. Hey, you courageous warrior. Who, me? He's trying to say, look, look at yourself differently. See yourself the way I see you. That's what we need to do. And so, but, you know, he's beginning to, question whether or not it's even a worthy task to do whatever this, whatever the Lord's getting ready to tell him to do. You know, so he's going to try to find some excuse and, and it's really God's fault anyway because God's abandoned and God's not doing anything anyway. Hmm. You know, Gideon, he seems just so resigned to the fact that, uh, I jotted this down, to the fact that the suffering that they face will never improve. It's just not going to get any better. Just, you know, here we are, we're suffering, and this is probably the way it's always going to be. And, you know, it's got to be, this must be God's will. You know, well, I'm, you know, all this stuff is happening to me, and I guess it's just God's will that I'm sick and tired and frustrated and don't have nothing. Wait, the Bible says the Bible says that God wants you to prosper even as your soul prospers. You know? So, wait a minute, it's not God's will 
that you should be so <sighs> wore out and, and frustrated and, and whatever. No, it's his will to heal you. It's his will to bless you. It's his will to set you free. He says, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. It's his will that you be happy. It's his will that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So don't settle for less. You know, Amen. And in the inter- interim, like, this might be where you are right now, but that's where I'm going. You know? Yeah, things are tough right now, but, man, I'm walking through this. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm getting ready for my victory. Man, I'm getting ready. We're going to have a victory. I'm already planning my victory party. <laughs> you know? If you're going through a real mess, start planning your victory party. Right? Hey, we had all these graduation parties for kids that have come through school. I mean, so they started planning these graduation parties back then while they were still taking tests. Well, while you're in still taking tests, while you're in the midst of a life's tests and challenge, plan your victory party. I'm getting ready to have a victory. And if the party gets there before the victory, just go ahead and have one. And you can have two. You can have two victory parties. That's fine. Get ready for it. Amen. Don't be complacent. Don't just settle for the way things are. Man, say, you know, this is not the way. This is not the best that it can be. This is not the way that it's going to be forever. Things are going to change. I'm coming out of this thing. Boy, I sure wish I had somebody here that knew what I was talking about today. I, I guess y'all just already been through all this stuff. And, and, you know, Satan would have us just to believe that, you know, God's abandoned us. Because that's what Gideon says. Well, you know, and God abandoned us. So that's what the devil wants you to think yeah, God just abandoned you. If God's really God, well, why didn't he change? If, he's, if he loves you, why has he left you like this? And, or, you know, all this stuff. And he tells you all this stuff. And here you start questioning it just like Gideon was. And pretty soon you're, you're down and out and back in the wine press just trying to just barely get by. I'm just, just, just trying to barely get by. Don't just try to barely get by. Say, so, man, this is just temporary. This is not the way things are. This is just temporary. We're going, this, this is fun right now. I'll always remember this, but this is just temporary. This is just a stepping stone to, to my victory. Hallelujah. I see that Bear Grylls. I kind of like to watch that. Running with Bear Grylls. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Bear Grylls. And he eats the whatever, you know, because they're surviving. And it's like, well, but you know that's not permanent. That's just temporary. That's just for tonight. I'm just eating this bug tonight because tomorrow I'm going to have steak. <laughs> you, know, you know, I made it through this thing. You know, he takes some of these. Uh, I loved when Deion Sanders was with him. Did anybody see that episode, Running with Bear Girls with Deion Sanders? Deion Sanders is a Christian, and they were climbing this mountain, and he didn't like heights very much. And so he had to go across. Deion Sanders starts praying in tongues. <laughs> in fact, Bear Gross says, what? What was that? He said, no, I'm just, I'm just praying in tongues. <laughs> I thought, yeah, Dion, go prime time. No matter to him, he's fine. He's going to speak in tongues. It might as well be at 8 o'clock in the evening on channel whatever, NBC. Let everybody know. I'm praying in tongues. I've got to get across this cliff. <laughs> you know? And so they're, they're going to eat part of a snake. You know? And he's like, he's saying, He's like, yeah, well, that might be for tonight, but I tell you what I'm having tomorrow night, I'm having me a steak, you see? So it's like, this is just temporary. This is not what, I'm not settling for this for the rest of my life. This is just temporary. But faint-heartedness gets you just to settle in and say, yeah, I guess this is the way it's always going to be. I guess it's just, this is the way it is. This is what my lot in life, and I guess this is just the way it's always going to be. No, God's sovereign. He, he, you know, this is just temporary. God calls things that aren't as if they are. That's why he spoke to Gideon. Gideon won, but he, he called him a mighty man of valor. 
He said, are you courageous warrior? He called what wasn't as if it was. Why don't we do that? We're created in the image and likeness of God, so call things that aren't as if they are. Bug, you're changing to a, a filet mignon tomorrow night. <laughs> it's the last bug I'm having. I'm having filet mignon tomorrow night. See, it's just temporary, amen? Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, there's always hope. As long as we're living in the day of God's grace, as long as God, we're in his favor, there's always going to be, there's always hope. There's always something that's better that's coming. Verse 15, uh, it says, But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? How can I do this? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. You know, Gideon begins to even question God. What are you calling me for? Don't you see? I'm the weakest in my family, and I can't, I don't have any money. I don't have any resources. I don't know how to do any of that. Why are you calling me? Don't you know? I can't do any of this. Yeah, I'm sure God didn't know that whenever he came to, you know, here's the creator of the universe, and oh, he must have made a mistake, you know. So Gideon, he's he's questioning God's uh, um, choice here. And, uh, you know, God knew all about Gideon. I mean, he, he formed him, he created him before Gideon ever was, before the foundation of the world, the same way with you. God created you before the foundation of the world. He knows who you are. He'll never ask you to do anything that he can't supply the necessary ability and, and provision and whatever it's going to take to get that thing done. He'll not remove you from the point of having to trust him, but that's what we need to do is trust him. Gideon wasn't called because God looked and knew that, hey, here's a man, he can do it. Now, this guy's got it down. He can handle this. No, he called him because he, could, he began to see the, the potential within him. We don't see the potential within ourselves. But God looks and sees the potential within us. Well, you know, so basically he's saying, well, surely there's someone else that uh, you could get to do this task a lot better than me. Right? Well, surely there's somebody else that can sing in the choir. Surely there's somebody else that can, you know, usher. Surely there's somebody else that can... Uh, greet people when they come in and out. Surely there's somebody else that can sing. Surely there's somebody else that can whatever, teach those kids. Surely there's somebody else that can help out with Miss Chantel or Miss Lacey. Or there's, surely there's somebody else that can do that Royal Ranger program. Surely there's somebody else. See, we're faint-hearted, reluctant, complacent, even questioning God, looking to, I, you know, I don't have the time, I don't have the resources, I don't have the ability, I can't do that. Who am I that God would want me anyway? That's what the devil's saying. Yeah, he said, who are you that God would want you anyway? If you're hearing that, that's the devil talking to you. God never questions your value. The devil's the one that always questions your value, and he'll get you to question your value. But you are somebody, <laughs> In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 3, it says, Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and give you victory. God gives us victory. Well, you know, who am I to think that God might heal me? Well, he died for you. He thought you was, was enough that he, God sent his son to die for you to purchase salvation, deliverance. That word, the Greek word sozo means everything. Healing, uh, salvation is that all-inclusive word. Delivered, set free from all things. Second Timothy, the apostle Paul writes to Timothy 
there in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and of a sound mind. He didn't give you this, this complacent attitude, this fearful attitude, this questionable attitude, this complacency and uh, apprehensiveness and, and just reluctance. Man, we need to get victory over reluctance. We're looking at a lot of different things and looking at maybe physical illnesses and all this stuff, but we need to get over some mental challenges, you know? We need to check up from the neck up. That's where our problem is, is that we're just reluctant. We talk ourselves out of doing all these other things for God and that why we can't and why somebody else could do it better. God says, hey, I'm choosing you. If I wanted somebody different, I'd go, I already talked to them, but what's that to you, right? He's there talking to you right now. Well, God sees the lion-hearted possibilities within us. And that's what he saw in Gideon. You know, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Verse John says, Beloved, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we're going to be like him. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's bold. He wants us to be bold. He wants us to have that faith within us that calls things that aren't as if they are. To believe that what God says about us is who we are, not what we think or what, what our circumstance would dictate to us. God doesn't let circumstance uh, keep him from seeing us the way he wants to see us. Aren't you glad for that? People see us for who we are or who we've been. God sees us for who we are going to be, amen, for who he's called us to be. Boy, that would have been a really good place for somebody to shout amen. Gideon looked at himself through the eyes of fear and doubt and faint-heartedness. That's usually the way we look at ourselves. But God looks at, uh, through eyes of faith and, and lion-heartedness. Jeremiah 29, 11, what a powerful passage that uh, you, know, you ought to memorize. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. He said, I know the plans that I have for you. Here Gideon's talking back, well, surely you must need somebody else. God said, wait a minute, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and to, uh, he says, and, and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. I, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. That's what God says. Wow. He says, you're going to seek me and you're going to find me when you search for me with all your heart. One of the problems that they had was that, you know, they had built these altars to Baal. One of the first things that God tells Gideon is, got to tear down all those altars. You rebuild some altars to me. You make me first place in your life, I'll bring victory for you. Sometimes we're wondering why we're not walking in victory. Because we're still allowing other things in our life. God's not first in our life. He's not first in our life. I remember the kids used to sing this little song. Miss Sandy will probably remember this. They used to sing this song. It says, I am a promise. I'm a possibility. And when I was reading this, I thought, yeah, that's what Gideon needed to step back and say, I am a promise. I'm a possibility. I'm a promise with a capital P. <laughs> it says, I think it goes, I'm a great big bundle of potentiality. <laughs> you know, these kids sing. That's what we need to say. I'm a promise. I'm a possibility. I'm a great big bundle of potentiality. Look out, devil. This is who I am. I jotted this down. It says, um, and I'm learning to hear God's voice, and I'm trying to make the right choice. I am a promise to be anything God wants me to be. I can go anywhere that he wants me to go. 
I can be anything he wants me to be. I can climb the high mountains. I can cross the wide sea. I'm a great big promise, you see. Pretty good song. I'm a promise. Well, who are you? The devil's in. I'm, I'm a promise. I'm a possibility. Man, we need to look at ourselves and say, hey, wait, I'm a possibility. A possibility for what? For anything God wants me to be. Whatever he wants me to do, whatever he wants me to be, I am a possibility. Wow, you're not just a meaningful specific. You're not just a, I mean, you're not just a wandering generality out here. You are a meaningful specific. God has something specifically for you. I wish somebody out here could get a hold of some of this. In Romans chapter 4, verse 17, in the New International, it says, The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that aren't, that are not, as though they were. That's what God, he speaks into our life and he calls those things that aren't as if they are. Hey, mighty man of valor. Hey, man of God. Hey, woman of God. God calls us. Who are you? You're a child of God. You're the head, not the tail. You're above, not beneath. Amen? You are victorious. You're a victor, not a victim. You're a winner, not a wiener. (laughs) Amen? You are somebody. That's who God's called us to be. I'm not going to settle for faint-heartedness. I want to be lion-hearted. I want to go out here and say, you know what? I want to be bold as a lion for God. Hallelujah. You know, in Judges chapter 6, verse 12 there, in the Amplified... With the Amplified Version, here's what God says to Gideon. He says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of fearless courage. You mighty man of fearless courage. And he's in there hiding in the wine press, trying to just get a little bit of grain for himself, maybe his family, you know? Just settling for the way things are, thinking things are going to get worse. And, you know, I don't know, but... God spoke into him and says, he says, the Lord said, you mighty man of fearless courage. (laughs) Wow. That's what God's saying to you today. You are somebody. Hey, possibility. I got something for you to do. Nothing is impossible. God takes the impossible. He makes the the impossible possible in the impossible times. Amen. God loves to see. That's why he took Gideon, because nobody would think that was even possible. So he takes the impossible and makes it possible whenever we just trust God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Gideon only saw himself as faint-hearted, but God saw him, saw him as lion-hearted. Amen. God, Gideon saw himself as the victim. God says, no, you're a victor. You know, Gideon saw himself uh, as, he was looking through, at himself through fear and, and weakness, but God was looking at him through faith and, and through uh, the possibility of who he needed him to be. God saw, saw a man of fearless courage is what he spoke into him. Hmm. There is promise, there's potential, there is possibility in you. Did you hear that? There's promise in you. There's possibility in you. There is what God needs for you to be and for your circumstance and your situation. He's put it within you. I I like there in Ecclesiastes where God says that he's put into the hearts of man. He's put eternity into the hearts of man. Mankind, women too. Eternity, what does that mean? Boundlessness, no limitations. That's what eternity is. There's no limits on eternity. 
He's put unlimited potential and promise and possibility. Oh, man, I wish somebody today needed some possibility, some potential, some promise in their life. When you come up to your circumstance and your situation, you need to speak to it. You need to prophesy to your future and command it to come into align with what God's promise is for your life. Who are you? You are somebody. You are somebody. You're a child of God. You are a warrior. How dare the devil try to blockade you? How dare the devil try to steal from you? In time, when, until you get a backbone in you and stand up and tell the devil to get out of your face, you're not going to change anything. Your situation won't change. There was a time in my life where it's like, man, every time the devil would say, I'd jump. I was so afraid. I'll never forget it. But I, we had this little townhouse, and I remember one morning I was up reading the Word of God, and it's like, I don't know, it's just like this, not only just, just fear for a lot of different things, and I remember standing up and slamming my hand down on a desk and said, devil, get out of my face. Get out. Get behind me, Satan. You're not going to rule my life anymore. I am somebody. I'm a child of God. Who do you think you are talking to me? I don't even want to see your face anymore. People say, you know, something about this. I don't even talk to the devil. He's not even worth my breath. Let the, let the Lord tell him. You know, let the Lord command him. In Jesus' name. Let the Lord. But I will tell him, get out of here. You command him. Get up, you know, be gone. Be uprooted. Man, you know, because we'll start to settle for whatever he starts to dump on us. He puts strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The devil comes around, he starts to put strongholds all around us to try to hold us down, hold us back, get us to settle for less until finally he gets us so tied down that we become so reluctant and so out of shape spiritually and so faint-hearted that we just begin to settle for less. And we say, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's right. You know, I don't have faith for nothing. That's when you need to talk to yourself. You need to slap yourself, slap the fat off your face and get up and tell the devil, get out of there. Hallelujah. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, you know, the Lord is with you, you mighty, fearless, <laughs> a man of fearless courage. The Lord is with you. You need to know today that the Lord is with you. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always. And I like what that black preacher said. And, and high, he is with me always too. <laughs> Low, he's with me. High, he's with me. He, he's with me wherever I go. He's with me. The Lord is with you. Man, you are somebody. He died for you. He gave all he had for you. He purposed you before the foundation of the world. You think he's just going to sit back now and not care? Yes, he cares. You are a promise. You're a possibility. You are a potentiality. Amen. Take a breath and say, yes, that's me. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. I'm going to pray this morning. Now, I'm going to pray that you catch some of this and that you rise up and that you start to get a spiritual backbone in you and say, I am not going to be faint-hearted anymore. I'm going to stand up and where the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy in my life, against me, against my household, against my family, against my stuff, I've slapped washing machines back into service. I have. You know, they say they're only, work, they're only good for seven or eight years. Well, when you've got four kids and the things are running 24 hours a day and they start to go... And sitting right by your bedroom, I've come in there and I've slapped and said, you're going to work <laughs> because you're not mine. You belong to the Lord. I gave you to Jesus. Now you work for Jesus. <laughs> you think I'm crazy, but I tell you what, when you can't afford it, buy a new one. You'll go slap a washing machine <laughs> or a dryer. 
or the hood of a car. I got a dent in one of my cars one time because I said, you will start. I got to get to work. <laughs> I don't have time to be sitting here. I got to get to work. I don't have time to be messing with no car. Amen. Slap them into existence. I don't know anything about it. Raise the hood. Act like you're doing something and just speak to it. Start. <laughs> I tell you what, there's been times that I've raised the hood and said, well, Lord, what do you think? <laughs> and I mean, there's times the Lord might give me some wisdom on to do something. I'm serious. It's like, now try it. Like, really? <laughs> Here it goes. I'm telling you, it works. Try it sometime. And then there's other times I've done that and it hadn't worked. So I just want you to know. But there's times that, man, I mean, it's like, what else are you going to do? There's nothing else to do but just have faith. You know, sometimes we don't exercise real faith, real faith, until we have to have real faith. And I think that's where they were. You see, the Midianites had pushed them back in so much that, that here's getting in a wine press trying to just, you know, grind out a little bit of wheat. There was nothing left, no place else to go. We couldn't get any lower than that. And the angel Lord comes and says, man, you, my, my, you man of fearless courage. Who are you talking to? <laughs> You're the only one around here. Now then, get with it. And then the rest of this story, we're going to close. So finally, you know, if you know this story, Gideon says, well, okay, well, if it's really you, then show me, a, give me a sign. See, that faint-heartedness is still there. First thing is like, uh, you know, if you're really the angel of the Lord, um, show me a sign. Okay. He says, well, well, stay right here. Don't you leave. I'm going to go get a sacrifice and bring it back. You know, so I think Gideon takes his time just in case he goes home, kills the kid, not, not the child, but the goat, and he fixes a sacrifice, gets all this stuff, finally brings it back, and the angel of the Lord touches it with a stick with a staff in it, catches on fire and says, oh, okay, you're really the angel of the Lord. So then he tells him what he wants him to do. It's like, well, are you sure? It's like, wow, come on, Gideon. He says, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to put this, this fleece out here, this, this ram's fleece. And in the morning, if it's all wet and nothing else, and the ground around it's not even wet, and the dew is only on the, then I'll, you know, I'll believe that what you're telling me is right. Next morning, dew's all over the ram's uh, skin, not anyplace else. God answered, showed him a sign. Hmm, well, let's see. How about if tomorrow there's dew everywhere else but not on the ram skin? Let's try that out. Are you trying to, I think he's still trying to get out of this, thinking, you know, there's got to be somebody better than me out here somewhere. Next day, the same thing happens. But you know what? Gideon finally, here's God's grace. He locks in, and when he locks in and he says, okay, we're going to do this, he goes out and God says, okay, I want you to go out here against this great army, this vast army, a hundred and some thousand Midianites and Amalekites out there. And, and so he already thins the army back to 32,000. And so then he says, well, hey, Gideon, he says, uh, you know, there's not a lot of committed people out there. He says, go ask if any of them are, are nervous and afraid they want to go home, let them go home. Really? Goes out and asks, and so sure enough, what was it, 22,000 go home? So he's left with 10,000. Now it's 10,000 against the, is it 130-some thousand people in the other army? I should have read the rest of the story over there in chapter 8 of Judges. So he's got 10,000. God says, you know what? That's still way too many. 
Okay, God. Now, here's the thing, though. Gideon, he went from faint-heartedness to lion-hearted. Here he is. He's trusting God. Okay, God, whatever you say, man, we're going to do it. He said, well, take him down to the river, he says, and let him get a drink. And he says, and any of them that just down there just bend down and just start <laughs> just lapping that water in like a dog. I don't know if I do. I need to try that out, so I don't know how I drink. He says, that's the ones that you let go. He said, but any of them that take it up like this and drink like that, he says, that's the ones that you keep. Well, 9,700 of them were down there just sopping in that water, you know, just getting them a drink. There's 300 of them was taking it up like this. I think they were more alert, you know, they were watching and they were taking it away. He said, that's the ones that you're going to keep, that 300. Now we're down to 300. But you see, Gideon went from being faint-hearted to lion-hearted. So he says, okay, God, if 300 is cool for you, it's cool for me. He says, well, what are we going to do for weapons? He says, well, let's see. Weapons, huh? How about those old pots and a torch? Oh, yeah, that sounds like that ought to work, sure. They get these old pots and put a torch in it. Oh, hey, and why don't you get a trumpet, too? And here these 300 go out there, and they go in, and they surround the camp. And he says, and, and when Gideon hollers, he said, everybody break that pot with that torch hold out and sound that trumpet. And, boy, that's exactly what they did. And when they did, God moved in. Then God went to work, and he confused them and confounded them. And the army raised up and began to kill themselves and fight amongst them. And, and they were so nervous that they were like, man, we're surrounded. Look at all these people surrounding us. God took those 300 somehow or another, and he magnified them. And, and the enemy was so nervous that they killed themselves and ran off, and there was a great victory, and Gideon got victory. You know why? Because he went from being faint-hearted to lion-hearted. Let me tell you something. God wants you not to be faint-hearted. He wants you to be lion-hearted. And when, well, God, I don't even have a weapon. No, you don't need no weapon, just a pot and a torch. I'll, I can work with that. I can work with anything. Don't tell God what you don't have. He already knows it anyway. Let him provide something, and everybody will be saying, how did that happen? I don't know, but God did it. And then he'll get all the praise. He'll get all the glory. God took five smooth stones, killed a giant with a little, you know, little boy David. Nobody could figure that out. God took a, a guy from the backside of the desert with just a, a rod in his hand. He says, hey, Mo Moses, stretch out that rod. And when he did, the waters parted and defeated all of Pharaoh's army. God wants to take you and take you from being faint-hearted to lion-hearted. And when you're lion-hearted and and you trust him and you have no doubt and you serve him. And it all started with worship whenever he tore down the altars of sacrifice and said, you know what? My time, my talent, my tithe, everything's for you, God. I'm going to trust you and put you first and whatever you say is going to work. And when he did that, then he got great victory. Hey, this is Pastor Paul Golden. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe, rate it, and review also, you can help us to reach others by investing today at lightchristiancenter.com slash give. Thank you for joining us on LCC's podcast. God bless you and have a great day.